first of all, from the beginning, there is a global need for some sort of universal currency. Yeah, that has been proven. People, there is a appetite for that. There is a hunger for that. Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever solved some of that. There is a global need for smart money, smart contracts. Ethereum, many other DeFi projects um, solved that. There's a need for this to be quick and cheap. And projects like Phantom and other DeFi products have have scaled crypto well. And there's a need and appetite, and that's all. That's not going away. So our guest today on Off the Ledger is Mo Levin, CEO and co-founder of Keynote, the largest media and events company in the industry, responsible for hosting popular events like North American Bitcoin Conference, World Blockchain Forums, and many others. Welcome to the show. Excited to speak to you today. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, man. It's, uh, you know, I've, I've, I think you and I have known each other for like so many years, at least connected. This is actually the very first time we've spoken, I think, face-to-face. And we can say face-to-face on uh, Zoom, right? So you must be starstruck. <laughs> I am. <laughs> I was looking forward to it because we've spoken before about participation and events and conferences, yeah. things of like that. But um, we've always crossed, we've always crossed paths just different times. And of course, I can't see you at a conference because yeah. you're just way too busy. So um and now you live in dubai yeah i live in amsterdam and dubai yeah oh okay amsterdam and dubai okay that's that's cool i've it's been about three years since i was in uh in dubai but i uh, imagine things have changed a lot i know a lot of people in the blockchain crypto space have actually seemed to be relocating there funny how that works i made an event well the first person to make an event in dubai was bruce fenton who made an event there in 2014 yeah yeah um couple hundred guys in a hotel having an event talking about, I think it was the end of 2014. So they must have been talking about Ethereum a bit, but it was, it was a very, um, it was an interesting time in crypto. There wasn't much out there. There was a couple right. of currencies and people were just getting their holdings, what's going on. Um, but the UAE government in general was very pro crypto, pro blockchain more, more specifically is, and then I made an event in 2015 till now. I still make an annual event in, in Dubai. They've been so welcoming and warm. And the, even the government themselves are major partners of another event about crypto in Dubai. And, and that's sort of what you see around the world is the governments that have taken a position positively towards crypto are the places where people move their companies. Um, yeah. And that's where people want to live. Dubai is a great place to live. But um, if you're going to make a company in an industry, and especially like 10 years ago when crypto was really in its infancy, if you're going to make a company somewhere, you want to ensure the highest likelihood of success by going somewhere where you know they're not going to change the laws, remove the licenses, you know, what we saw in the last few weeks with mining in China or the last couple of months. It's just out of nowhere, your business can go uh, upside down. For sure. Now, your first conference, though, was, I mean, going back to 2012, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, well, it's funny how it started. I, I, some people know this story, but I was living in Austria at the time, and I was working in a supply chain conference company. And I learned how to make events there, and I, I was doing some writing about, the, about supply chain, and people mentioned Bitcoin to me. I was broke, but I borrowed some money from my girlfriend at the time, and now my wife, and uh, 
she gave me money to buy some Bitcoin and to make my first event. And that was in Amsterdam in 2013. Um, and this was also really early days in a comedy club in Amsterdam. <laughs> Everybody was there. Uh, Vitalik was pitching an idea where you can buy like an, a web shop where you can pay in crypto. And it was kind of revolutionary at the time. And he had a whole speech about how you can, and, and that payments would be a big part of it. Um, at BitPay was there talking, you know, early days of, of a lot of the payments companies, but it was funny because yeah. you had the founders, you know, Bobby Lee was there and uh, Jesse from Kraken, all these guys who are now heading up multi-billion dollar companies were in a hot comedy club with bad lighting and not great audio, you know, evangelizing what what is now the industry has become so diverse and so huge. I mean, you mentioned, you said before, you know, we've known each other a bunch of years, we've connected, I've emailed, we've talked, we never actually had a conversation together. Yeah. It's going to get even less and less likely that the people that you know or that you've known over the years that you can spend time with at big events because the industry has grown so massively. Was it... Was it when Ethereum launched that 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 first event as well? Second event in, in January, uh, four or five months later, um, there was the Ethereum house. And uh, well, we were talking about the token sale and how the token sale would be structured um, as a reverse auction or an auction or how that would look. And then, yeah, Vitalik launched it four months later. I have some funny pictures of him, you know, at a booth <laughs> selling Bitcoin magazines for a couple of dollars. Um, and then he went on to explain the idea behind Ethereum, and he was overwhelmed with people coming up to him. But at the same time, there was a thousand people in the in, in the audience there. Not not a whole lot of people. Yeah. Have, have you have you like uh, let's say mid to late last year with Clubhouse, there was a lot of crypto groups, and and I took a look at it. I downloaded it, and I said, oh, I don't know anybody here. Yeah. The whole, the whole that, crypto industry was a thousand people ten years ago. <laughs> it's so true. I think the difference is is that, in my view, anyways, there's a crypto industry, right, and then there's a crypto audience, and and I say that the same say crypto is crypto and blockchain, right? I mean, you have an audience of technology people that are creating and creating new innovation and ideas around blockchain. And then you have crypto that people are looking at as an investment. You have the, the whole NFT crave, craze today. Of course, you're heavily involved with it. But that's, that's bringing a whole different audience now, right? You're bringing, I think you're attracting a different age of audience. You're looking at different levels of, of investment because it attracts, it has a different meaning and purpose. There's, there's maybe a little bit more ownership around the NFT market and or and a single NFT compared to say crypto or Bitcoin, which is really uh, decentralized, right? It's, there isn't a lot of ownership. You own your own coins, but it's a different market. So today I think things like Clubhouse and social and all these different events are attracting a completely different audience than you were attracting 2012, 2013, 14, or even 15 yeah. when we were you know, attending common similar events. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the the more that the, sort of the industry expands, it touches more and more people's jobs, it touches more and more people's interests, gets more people involved. But those people, I guess, are not uh, 
industry people the same way that they're interested. Yeah. Um, what's funny is that uh, Craig Sellers, one of the co-founders of Tether and a, a great guy all around, he was on Clubhouse every day teaching people. And, and most of the Clubhouse discussions were, what is Bitcoin? Is this thing going to last? What's Bitcoin backed by? And just easily Googleable answers that have been talked about for years and years, just really beating the dead horse. And he was, and there's still a bunch of people like that, which are still, and, and I hope to be counted in one of those people as one of the people that continue to just spread the message, get more people involved because we believe in it, because we want to have more people in the industry and where more people are interested in the industry, where more companies are involved, the bigger and the more impactful this whole thing is going to be. Yeah. I had uh, an event yesterday, a conference I was on, or I guess a discussion with um, the guys from Bitrix and Coinbase and uh, an NFT marketplace group and things. And I, it was really interesting the level of conversation we were having because it had, it included regulations, which I'm actually keen to get your viewpoint on. But it also covered a number of elements of things. And mostly we, we all agreed that it's education that we as a group, you know, the people who sort of operate in the industry, we're in that stage. This adoption phase today, it's still about education, just like it was when you probably put your first conference on. It's like, hey, how do I get people together to share ideas and provide information to move, move an industry forward? You're like, I, I think you're one of the fundamental elements to help gather and bring all these guys together and nothing happens individually. So, you know, bringing all these people together, getting to the education point now, everybody out there is doing the same thing. I guess like Craig, he's providing information, sharing. A part of this reason I'm doing this, this um, podcast now is to bring people together, share their stories and tell, tell others about it to provide education and information. We're in agreement here. This is this is one of the best ways to bring people in, into the fold is to educate genuinely, graciously, give people the opportunity to hear and listen and to to learn more themselves. And to it's intimidating, man. Crypto is is intimidating on so many levels. On on a it's complicated how it works technologically. It's a very large industry with established players already. It's as big an industry as many others combined. Yeah. Um, in terms of market cap, people involved, developers involved, um, and as somebody who you know, a teenager from Middle America wants to learn about crypto, um, it's intimidating. But the more they can go on YouTube, click on a podcast like this, and hear about it, and say, you know what, it's th there's easily digestible piece of information, so I can slowly understand it. There's a ton of information yeah. to hear about it. And then they can start building something, maybe something rudimentary, but maybe after they graduate college, they can uh, join a crypto company or develop their yeah, own my, whatever. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that was actually how um, I was brought into this space. You know, I, I've been an entre entrepreneur all my life, but in 2014, 15, um, I met Alex. He was the, he was the founder of, of coin payments and, I was actually asked to be his mentor because he was a creative entrepreneurial guy who came up with an idea and concept to support merchants with accepting crypto. He really wanted to accept crypto as a form of payment himself. That's 
how it started. And when I started looking at it, I was an entrepreneur involved with crowdfunding at the time. And I had an incubator and accelerator helping entrepreneurs. And what I saw the ICO space wasn't about ICOs. It was about grabbing your community, verifying and validating your business idea, right? And using tokenization or tokens or the idea of gathering people together. And that's where I saw so many people were, hey, I want to support this idea, this concept, this entrepreneur. And that was what first brought me into sort of the crypto space because that was the ideas and the innovation around that. And I saw the opportunity to be able to support others and support entrepreneurs and support new innovation. Sort of like in the early 90s, developing some first internet companies. You know, the internet went through this same same phase. Ideas, concepts, bring people together, educate. And then everybody's like, wait a second, what is this internet thing? How do I find out about the internet? You couldn't really, because <laughs> it didn't always exist. <laughs> so, you know, I, I we're in a very interesting phase. You know, I'm sure you see it. The difference of, of 2012, 2013 to today. Like, where do you see the next five years? It's, it, it's there's, there's a lot to talk about here because I'm also interested a lot about uh, how you join coin payments. But we, we talk about the next five years, which I, is we could catch up later about how you got involved. And maybe you've talked about it on the podcast, which I, I'll listen to. Next five years. I mean, the conversations have switched. 2012, a little bit more political. 2013, a little bit more political. Uh, actually, a lot more political. Um, people with agendas coming to conferences with very strong um, anti-establishment views. Not everybody, but there was a there was a cohort of people which had a strong opinion that Bitcoin was and is the technology and the single piece of technology that will able to that is able to limit the power of governments. And that conversation, that 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 line of thinking has sort of gone away for the most part um, and has been replaced by how can I make money off of this? Um, and the, the sort of the greed and potential and, and money making um, became more as a, as a popular reason to be involved from uh, 2014 when the price of Bitcoin went to uh, $1,200. Um, and then again, every bull run, there's people that want to make money off of it. But the, the political let's stop government power has gone away as governments and more and more governments have uh, become friendly. I think people are going to stop talking about crypto being in its infancy and just starting off as a technology because it isn't. The amount of development that's happening and really high level amazing things that are being developed the entire DeFi space, like rebuilding the entire banking system infrastructure from the ground up that works much better than the banking system. That's a tremendous achievement. That's not an infancy. That's not a test. I mean, it still is, you know, people like to, and I also say, you know, this is all an experiment and it could work and it could not. And then we find a fatal flaw and everybody's out of business, but <laughs> probably won't happen. There's a lot of smart people on board, but it's not a fringe I was in a, at a rodeo, it, it happened at the same time, I was in Vegas, and there was like a big rodeo convention, and I was with a bunch of friends, um, Joseph Von Perling, he, he, he was a, a good friend at the time, and many other people, these OGs in crypto were there, and we were at a, 
uh, rodeo bar because they were they're having some rodeo in Vegas. And I bet him that nobody in the bar would know anything about Bitcoin. Um, and the bet was, I thought somebody would hear about it. Yeah. And if I lost, I would sing karaoke in front of 200 <laughs> cowboys, which I wound up singing karaoke. I sang Johnny Cash and I got an applause. No problem. But that was infancy. That was nobody in a bar of a few hundred people knew anything about Bitcoin. Now you go anywhere. Everybody's heard about it. This is not infancy. You're talking about NFTs. Yeah, some people wouldn't know about it, but still, that, that became pretty popular. I mean, there was a time where the first time uh, uh, the Big Bang Theory mentioned Bitcoin on TV, everybody sent each other a clip of like Sheldon said something about Bitcoin and how crazy is that because Bitcoin's on TV. CNBC has a running ticker of Bitcoin price. Yahoo Finance yeah. running ticker of Bitcoin price. Some people don't even go to Coin Market Cap or, all, or Bitcoin Wisdom or all these old sites to check the Bitcoin price. You could just go on Bloomberg. That's right. Yeah, not a small industry by a long shot. And um, there hasn't been the same sort of uh, M&A activity that you would expect. I think that'll, that's still going to happen um, where there's a lot of consolidation. There's still so many companies. And the, the problem with having so many companies um, is that they don't collaborate the same way. They don't, there isn't some sort of alliance. There was plans to make uh how do you call these like like alliances or working groups or whatever to 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 have a bunch of people like a bitcoin foundation ethereum foundation to, to bring people together yeah. and r3 tried this as a consortium to bring people together didn't really work but the thing about a lot of these crypto companies is they're founded by people who have crypto generally crypto is done well they don't need the money and so they're not looking to sell to a bigger company but I, I would have expected the M&A teams, and I guess over the next few few years, there'll be some acquisitions or people will go public more often, like we saw with Coinbase. Um, and soon we'll see probably with Kraken, probably we'll see with some other companies that go public. I think there's some of that is about um, the regulatory frameworks that are coming into play. Like you, you just saw Voyager purchase Coinify, right? Yep. Um, and you're starting to see, and uh, Nuve purchased uh, Simplex recently, right? Some some pretty big uh, M&A deals, right? And um, I think that that's because of regulations. And I and I don't know how you feel about the regulations. I, I'm a supporter of regulation. I think it's important to give confidence and establish some direction and, and ideas as to where you can go. And groups like the Nuves and or other groups that have big financial groups behind them, they're kind of restricted to invest into certain markets and certain businesses that are have they give it gives them guidance, right? I think that's where we're we're seeing. And we hear we ask or we're asked about this all the time about will you sell? Will you do this? Will you do this? And we're we've had several conversations ourselves because I agree with you. I think that there is more consolidation happening. Um, and you'll three years ago, I guess I said to my partners at the time, uh, we're going to see every major financial fintech payments company in the next three years be in crypto. And today, three years later, we see PayPal, you see Venmo, you see, you know, Square, you see uh, JP Morgan, even you see all of these large financial institutions now all in crypto. And I don't think that would have happened if it wasn't some directional change in the regulatory space. 
I, th I think you're right. I mean, you can't do it alone. You need to work with the regulators or you're going to be um, moving company locations every week because you work with yeah. the regulators, everybody's happy and the regulators are there to encourage business and innovation. Um, governments yeah. are there to protect citizens and they want to make sure that there's no bad actors. And I think with the slowness of consolidation and, and acquisitions, it's probably a lot of it is internal, like you're saying. You got to get approval from a lot of board members and stakeholders in the company to take a position, but there's also a risk associated with not taking a position. Um, yeah. Could PayPal have bought a company like Simplex uh, or built their own crypto team? Uh, is Amex going to build their own crypto team? Is what, what makes more sense? And some of the some of the things are some crypto companies or you know even many an exchange is not that difficult to build anymore. Yeah. So it, it, a, a small exchange is unlikely to be acquired by anything any other company when the other company can build it themselves pretty quickly and getting users. People has no issues getting users because they start off with 500 million. 300 million. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, some things don't make sense. Some things would make sense, some specific things. But yeah, let, let's see what happens in terms of M&A over the next few years. And let's see what happens with, with DeFi and staking and um, the different edgy financial products that are being built by people that uh, haven't gone to business school. I, th I think some of those things are also pushing the financial institutions yeah. uh, harder, right? The DeFi space has demonstrated that it's, it's a need. Like there is just the community, the people want this and the, the old school banking services, which technically we're offering the types of services just were consolidated into the bank. But the lending side of it, for example, right? Or interest. Most banks were like basically at a 0% interest on your holdings. So of course, a person's looking for an alternative. If I'm going to hold my asset, I'm going to total $10,000. Why not hold it in a facility that's going to offer me interest, even if it's a risk? And you're still offering interest. What's the what is the bank value when there's literally no interest being paid, and yet you you go to borrow the money and you're being you're being charged interest? So I th I think that that's where DeFi is it's pushing. And I believe in conversations I've had, many banks are taking up DeFi into their own platform, into their own offering. You know, custodialship of crypto deposits lending, interest, you know, everything else, all of a sudden is changing the business of banking. Um, conversation yesterday, again, on, on my call with Decor, um, and things were about CBDCs, right? Like the value of CBDCs and the banking and the financial market compared to the value to the community in comparison to crypto. You know, I, I, how, how do you feel about that? I got invited for a lunch at the Federal Reserve in Atlanta in 2013. And I went with Stephen Pear, who was the, I think he's the CTO or chairman or CEO of uh, BitPay at the time. And we had all discussed, like, take it easy. Let's just have a nice conversation, talk to people, talk to people about crypto. Um, and the, the lunch went more or less okay um, until the the... One of the executives from the Federal Reserve was like, so is there any other, you know, would anybody like to ask or talk about something else? And 
Stephen said, yeah, I just think you need to replace the physical dollar with a central bank digital currency. And the, the supply of money is, is, is accelerating too fast and you guys need a digital coin. <laughs> and it did not resonate. <laughs> in 2013. It was just like, well, thanks for coming. And don't forget to see the tour on the way out of the money-making machines. Right. Now, completely different situation where um, it's on every whiteboard of every government, small or big, uh, internally saying, what is this? How can we use this? And, and some are really close. And so that, like, the train left the station. This is a domino effect. It's not a when, if, whatever. These, some, some things are going to be stable. There is a DeFi, there's a value. And first of all, from the beginning, there is a global need for some sort of universal currency. Yeah. That has been proven. People, there is a appetite for that. There is a hunger for that. Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever solved some of that. There is a global need for smart money, smart contracts. Ethereum, many other DeFi projects um, solved that. There's a need for this to be quick and cheap. And projects like Phantom and other DeFi products have, have scaled crypto well. And there's a need and appetite. And that's all that's not going away. When you look at a digital currency or a central bank digital currency, that is going to happen. It is happening kind of like a digital euro kind of exists, but it isn't a crypto based. But th there's a need for that. That is going to exist. And many of these, like there is a need for only having a proof of ownership that exists as tradable, a way to have like NFTs is something that's not going to go away. How it evolves, whatever, it's not going away. I agree. So, so, so the questions of do you think this is going away or not, or is this, those are gone. Those are those I don't, I don't have those conversations with anybody. It used to be on stage. What do you, where do you think this is going? What do you think? You know, is everybody going to get arrested? Nothing like that is going to happen. It's, yeah. it's blockchain tech in general is here to stay, but it's, you know, it's changing real fast. And the ICOs you talk about and the, the crowdfunding, you know, Mango raised 70 million or a, a whole bunch yesterday. There's still crowdfunding things that are going on that are valuable. People are seeing this. And that is, I mean, some of these things are, it, it, the, the frequency and the amount raised is much less, but there's a whole lot still going on and still unknown. And I yeah. recommend everybody read Vitalik's like annual letter, like uh, uh, Warren Buffett's annual letter to, <laughs> to shareholders, because he, he's, he's on top of his game. And he, he's, you know, the most interesting things we haven't seen yet. And, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. Um, yeah. As technology gets better and more interesting and exciting, there is more interesting and exciting ways to apply cool technology like blockchain technology. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you too. I, the NFT space is, is it's mind blowing the adoption, you know, for, for, for what, what it, it's taken not even a year, right? In the last year and the amount of platforms systems funding the people behind the the business and stuff for that of course it, it it does attract different owners different things because of the ownership i think you know when i look i think of an nft it's hey i have an asset i have a, a product it's my sports card when i when we were growing up you know what was that product that you had and the phase of maybe covid had something to do with it more people are going to virtual spaces right they're going to their uh, their video games or they're going to their 
virtual conferences, they're going to different stuff. And you now have these opportunities to have digital ownership of these assets you have, right? And, and be able to present them and share them and have contracts around them, which today, I mean, we don't need to have as many physical things because we just don't. But you have the you have that desire, that interest for that digital asset. So I, I see definitely innovation changing and more events and conferences like you put on. I think that's what brings ideas together, right? My idea isn't my idea. It's technically, I think it's everybody's idea, right? It's it's whether or not I implement them and make them happen is the difference. And I think conferences like yours bring these people together, show people what's possible, and allow people to create these ideas together. So I'm with you. you know, I applaud you. I mean, this is this is why I make events. I I, I often call the events serendipity machines, where it's just a weird machine where 5,000 people go in, serendipity happens, and then tens of thousands of ideas come out. People meet co-founders and projects and it all happens and people learn about it. The, the, the ripple effect of a good event and meeting interesting people. And I, I recommend everybody to go to every conference they can. And most of the, like if you can, and I know it's a whole lot of things over what you're currently doing in your life to go to an event and it costs money and everything, but you never know when you're gonna meet something, somebody amazing, some inspiration gonna happen, some business partner you've never met, some friend you're gonna have forever. Um, it's just important to get out and the more, it, it's just a numbers game, like the mathematics of it is the more cool people you're exposed to, the more interesting people you meet, the more you learn, the more interesting you become, the better your ideas become, the more yeah. you you do great things and, and positive things in the world, you know? Yeah, I agree. You know, I, I used to spend about 80% of my time traveling, mostly because I, I felt that the need of, of or the importance of meeting people face to face was so incredible. And I never take back the uh, the experiences and or the time of travel and all the relationships that I have around the world today because of that. COVID has obviously come in the middle of that a bit, you know, um, and I'm doing my best at least to 10, still attend conferences that are virtual. And I think some of the conferences are starting to create platforms that allow people to still participate because of the limitations in travel. Where, where do you see that impacting like how, what how or what would you recommend actually if i want to still participate how do i participate if i'm restricted by travel i didn't do an event this year in miami the annual event i've been doing for eight years because i didn't feel comfortable with putting people at risk you have that many people it's very difficult and people underestimate the difficulties and people complain a lot you know how could a restaurant be at 20 percent capacity how could a stadium do 30 percent? because controlling thousands of people um is difficult yeah i mean stadiums control people where they do a pat down quickly to see if they have anything that might be dangerous but you can't really pat somebody down to see if they have symptoms uh the best you can do is get a old certificate about if they show symptoms or a rapid antigen test or something it's not easy to do it's difficult at scale it adds more cost it has more problems flying is more difficult um but we're we're I think I think we're we're gonna be done with this pretty soon if we're not done with it already. I mean, Amsterdam is quite quite a bit further than other places in the world. There's no mandates to do anything here. 
but how do I see it play out? So uh, hybrid events is what seems to be um, what will happen in the future more often. I'm an investor in an online events company called Tame Events out of Copenhagen. They, they had a platform where it was an event app that you can use and you can connect with people at physical events. They pivoted to make online events in 2019, 20, uh, late 2019. It was it became super successful as a very good platform for online events. And what I see from behind the scenes is that they're getting a lot more clients doing hybrid events. They get, they they they're growing fast. Hop in another big one was acquired or is worth something like seven billion dollars now. Uh, Zoom is probably going to do online events soon. Uh, the issues that currently exist with online events, if anybody's ever been to one, is that there isn't a really great replacement for physical events. There's much less serendipity from an organization standpoint. It's more difficult to meet people, to, to filter the right people, to just randomly run into somebody, visit a booth and see somebody. You know, you can talk about the pros that you just need to sit at your desk and you're, you don't need to travel and you can save so much money, but there is no really good replacement. And hybrid will be the interim solution for the next year. And then it'll go back to physical. Um, or maybe uh, VR is going to take off like nobody expected and everybody's going to go to VR events, which are pretty cool and can work. And if you've experienced anything or, or been to a VR event, they're pretty magical, but there aren't a lot of attendees. Right. I think that I think we're in a technology situation with that still too, right? I mean, not everybody has a VR helmet. Not everybody has the technology and the, the utility to, to make that happen yet. I think we're we're moving in that direction, though. I, I I'd say, but you're right. How many people are going to participate or not? You know, the internet days uh, in the early '90s when I was creating some first internet pages, everybody said, "Who's going to use that, man? Nobody's going to use that." So you know, I guess I guess things change. VR is still taking a bunch of false starts, but I think how is this going to evolve events? Uh, I don't know. Like. CES remains a very big event, and there was the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona that moved now to Ireland, which was a massive event. Um, but as the industry becomes more, um, it, I, I, I don't know what a better word is. Like it, it's not becoming more fragmented as an industry. It's just becoming more, there's different um, strains, if you will of people yeah. interested. So from a, if there was a payment conference, you're gonna to wanna to go to a payments event because the industry you're in is payments and payments, crypto, whatever, you go to it, you talk to people. If you're interested in uh, medical research or medical technology and crypto, that's a specific event. And I think people are going to, and there will be more events that are going to be more niche. A couple hundred people in Switzerland, a couple hundred people in New York or LA or Miami, that will be popular. The super large events and the tricky thing about crypto is that many of these conferences are very social experiences. Like you hang out with all your friends because you've all been through the same stuff and it's great to have drinks with and you're not wearing a suit and everybody is just hanging out and maybe there's some business to do, but it's a really big party. Yeah. Um, they're, they're moving into, you know, there's a lot more suits in my events than there used to be, but um, that, that's what the difference is between the Mobile World Congress. It's it's not people don't come to my events only to do business and network and get enough business cards out, which I encourage them to do. And there's a lot of business to be made, but it is a very social event. So I think from a purely 
get as much, extract as much value from your two-day conference as possible is, is, I don't know what people are going to do in the future. I think, you know, social is the future. Like having a fun yeah. time at an event makes fun, you know, harder to get approval from, from, you know, um, going to Vegas for a weekend is difficult to, uh, your husband or wife might, might say, you know, it doesn't sound right, but, <laughs> and people enjoy it. And they, the industry is quite heavy, man. Like people are working at maximum capacity and most people are entrepreneurs that don't get a whole lot of sleep and they work their asses off all day long that sometimes you just need a break and go to a bar, have a drink and, and, and go to a show and go to, to some nice restaurants. And that can reset. If, if it's all focused on business only developing only, it becomes anyways, there's what, what we're both talking about. That's true. I, I, uh, I can't say I ever slept during a conference, though. So uh, getting rest at a conference, yeah, I don't, I don't know about. But, <laughs> but I agree that I agree that uh, the dynamic in person in a conference where you're exchanging energy, right? You're you're sharing, you're talking, you're you're exploring things. As you said, you you run into somebody you hadn't seen for a while, or maybe you you and you establish that close. I think it's a closer relationship which is why I used to spend all my time traveling. You know, anybody who I met face-to-face, handshake, t- dinner, you know, whatever, I can today call up anytime. If yeah. I haven't had that a chance to meet yet face-to-face in time, it's, it's much difficult, much more difficult. Maybe if you spend like an hour like we're spending right now, I can call you up now. But even having just a vocal conversation or something once before, it wasn't as close. And, and if you and I spend time together in person, like you, it just creates that a different dynamic. So I, I agree that it'll come back to that. Um, really that, sure. that the longer people aren't hanging out with each other, the more there's a need for people to just to, to reset. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you get it? You, you're an investor in Dropbox, I think, right? Mm-hmm. You, and you invest in other projects too. I mean, I only really know you from conferences, but are you, Sort of, how did you get into that that space? Somebody recommends to invest in in a project, or some friends are working. Like many of the invest, I invest in a clothing company, and the reason I'm an investor in a clothing company is because they needed to pay something and didn't have their wallet with them or their phone or something was messed up and they were traveling and they need to pay a supplier. I said, listen, I'll pay for it. Give me shares instead. <laughs> That's worked out. Other companies. Yeah. Um, I've seen a news article and I've texted. I see an interesting article and I just text the founders saying like, "Hey, this I read the article, really cool. Like the, the this event team. I'm like, I saw this article. You guys look great. Um, are you guys raising money? And many companies are happy to raise money or have a follow up round, um, especially small ones. Um, NetKey is another company which is a fantastic uh, identity solution in the crypto space. Um, investing in crypto companies is is getting more and more difficult from an equity perspective. Um, and I don't know that there's a lot of value to having equity investments in companies that have tokens, but um, I do all sorts of things with investments and helping companies and mentoring. I, I just like talking to people and I know a lot of things that are happening in the industry on account of the events. So um, yeah, I like to think that I'm a good board member. That's uh, that's awesome to know. I because I I didn't know that. I it's um, when I hear about or I see 
Mo Levin, I think of conferences, right? I think of like putting stuff together if I want to attend or whatever, but I, I never knew that about you. That that's awesome to hear. I, I myself am the same way. I, I, if anything, I love connecting people and I, and I love mentoring and supporting and providing some, some input or even just ask questions where people may be not asking questions. So I'm a mentor and advisor for so many different entrepreneurs and it actually is my passion. It truly is. Of course I'm in crypto and of course I'm in blockchain and payments and stuff, but my true passion is actually helping others. That's great. That, that, and, and there's, that resonates with a lot of people. That's just a good person to, to know and to get advice from. They're, they're rare. You got to use your time right. And then, you know, you got to think about how much is this new project or new person going to give me some grief. But generally speaking, a lot of people just are very friendly and want help. And how much is a phone call, right? Yeah. I think, I think one thing that people that generally in crypto need to keep an eye on is ego and being hard to reach because no need for that. It's actually, <laughs> I was, my next question for you was if, if what would be your advice to somebody getting into this industry? I think, I think that's one of them for sure, right? Yeah, hold, take it easy with the ego. Everybody's friendly. Everybody wants to help each other. Nobody's going to steal your idea. Let people help. Be open to the kindness of strangers because, and when you go to an event, tell everybody everything you're doing because God knows that initial idea you have is going to evolve a hundred times before you start developing it. And you will be so much better off by telling people and iterating in your in your head with other people at a bar. I've heard such half-baked ideas of companies that have turned into massive companies um, and they happen to turn because they get more people involved and they talk to interesting people about it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, Mo, it's, it's you know, I, I actually think we, you know, we maybe scheduled an hour. I think I could probably talk to you for a few more hours, to be honest. We've only touched the surface on stuff, and I didn't really get to tell you much about uh, the coin payments uh, for the five years of uh, what what has come to be where I am with, with coin payments now. So yeah, I'm sure about coin payments that every time I use them, uh, and I, I use the product, it is fantastic, easy, smooth. Um, looks good, customizable. I, I coin payments is the best online payments accepting. Um, any issues I've had is being re responded to quickly, but uh, yeah, I recommend it to everybody. It's very good. That's awesome. I appreciate that, and uh, hopefully we continue to uh, to create new ideas and concepts. Talking to people like yourself, you know, help us you know, adapt it and, and add new features and functions and stuff like that too. So it's always something that, that my goal is to make it better and better. It's Miami event. You're going to be on stage in January. So you better put that on your calendar. <laughs> Miami. I guess I'm, I guess I'm traveling sooner than I had thought. <laughs> anyway, you better get ready. Tell the family, yeah. tell the friends you're going to be in Miami for January. That's in six months from now on a beach in yeah. Miami. Well, luckily, it's nice and close to me, so uh, I'll, I'll definitely be there. Great. Thanks. Well, I appreciate all your time today, and I look forward to spending more time with you, and, and hopefully our next time is in person. So I really look forward to it. I look forward as well. Thanks for your time as well. All right, bud. Thanks a lot. Bye. Take care. All right, everybody. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining the Off the Ledger podcast today. 
remember to uh, listen to the newest podcast wherever you regularly listen to podcasts. Thank you very much. Have a great day.